Sorry, this is going to bug me if I don't fix it. All right. <laughs> this morning we are continuing in our series called The Blessing. And what we're doing is we're looking at the stories of Abraham. And we're looking at him as the first person that God specifically commissioned to be a blessing to his neighbors, to, to love his neighbors. And today we are going to begin looking at a story that will take us three weeks to get through. It's going to ultimately be the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Spoiler alert. Um, I should have said that before. I told you that Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed, but you may already know that. Uh, but today we're going to look at just the first segment of the story. And it almost, it hardly warrants being called a story in its own right. Because it's, it really feels like the introduction to the story. But it's actually a very important principle that we find here. And, and it's, it identifies a practice that we simply don't have anymore in our modern culture, which is hospitality. Which, uh, what you're thinking of when I say hospitality is not what the Bible is talking about when it says hospitality. So, we're going to read this story, and then we're going to dig into what's happening in this encounter between Abraham and three strangers. And then we're going to look at this very important principle of hospitality and how it applies to loving our neighbors. So, we are in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 10. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurriedly prepared it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. The word of the Lord. Okay, so like I said, this is a very short story. It actually doesn't even really feel like its own story. It's just an introduction. It's a setting of the scene for this conversation that is going to, next week we're going to really get into it, a very uh, intense conversation that Abraham has with these three messengers. But before we can even get to that, we have to understand what just happened because it is completely alien to our own uh, circumstances and our own practices and what we think of when we talk about hospitality. So, setting the scene. Abraham is sitting in his tent. He's, he's a rancher, which, and he's a traveling rancher, so he is in the middle of nowhere. Like, that's the goal. He needs to be at the center so he can send out all of his herds in every direction. So he's not in town. He is in the middle of nowhere, and he probably is nodding off because it's hot, and he is having his siesta. And he opens his eyes, and there's three guys standing there. Now, you ever notice, like, a stranger is coming in your general direction, or maybe someone's driving down the street, and they get closer, and they're still coming toward you, and, and you're starting to wonder, are they coming to me? Are they coming to see me? And, are, and then all of a sudden, like, are they, are they going to turn into my driveway? Like, they're slowing down at the right point, and then all of a sudden they turn, and you're like, oh, 
This person is coming to see me, right? Now they have committed. Now I know they're coming to see me. That's, that's the point of seeing these three men appear is that they are at a place where the only reason they could be there is to stop at Abraham's tent. Now, how, how do you react when someone, when three strangers show up at your house unannounced and, and you suddenly realize these people are here to see you? Do you, are you excited by that? Is that something that like, oh, goody, I'm going to run out and, and talk to In our culture, we generally put up signs to prevent that kind of thing. Um, we generally don't like strangers to approach our homes. We don't trust their motives. And so you might pretend that the doorbell doesn't work, um, or you might answer the door very reluctantly and hostily. Uh, you probably don't do what Abraham does, which Abraham sees them, and he runs out, and he addresses them as Lord, and he bows down. He does all these things that are over the top for, a, uh, for a, a wealthy rancher like him. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then, uh, so then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Like he's, and, and in Hebrew and in, in that culture, that is as over the top as, as like... like he sounds like, like, a, a, like a, a hotel manager, you know, that's desperate for business kind of a thing. You know, he's just really, really laying it on to get these people to stay. Just not how we would usually respond. And the question is, why does Abraham respond this way? Well, at this point, Abraham has not done anything unusual as a member of his culture. He is practicing hospitality. Hospitality in Greek, the word for hospitality, and actually it's the, pretty much the same thing in English if we were to break down the English word. But the, in, in, the Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about hospitality, it uses the word philoxenia, and the roots for that are philos and xenos. Anybody recognize either of those words? You, you will find them in other words that we use that have a Greek base. Anybody know what philos means? Close. Well, I mean, and Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. But um, Delphi means brother. So philo means love. Philos is love. Right? Like if you love music, you're an audiophile. Um, that's, that's file, philos, love. Right? Anybody know what xenos means? Strange. Yeah. The one word that I can think of that we use this in is xenophobic. Xenophobic means a fear of foreigners or fear of strangers. This is the opposite. It's love for strangers. That's what the word hospitality means. It's also what the Latin word that the, word, that the English word hospitality comes from means as well. It is the love of strangers. See, when we think about hospitality, we think of one of two things. We think of the hospitality industry, like if you've worked in a hotel or something like that, or we think of entertaining your friends. Right? Throwing a good house party. Neither of those are biblical hospitality. We're in a hotel, it's not love, it's business. And if your friends are not strangers. See, the way it worked back then is they didn't have hotels or truck stops or rest stops. And so if you're traveling, the only way you have to get from point A to point B and be able to stop for water or food is at people's homes. And so if you want to be able to travel to somewhere else, then you're going to receive hospitality, which means you have to offer hospitality. This was a social obligation that everyone felt. 
This was how they made things work, was that if you were traveling along and you came upon someone's house, they were obliged to help you out. They were obliged to give you what Abraham mentions, some water, a morsel of food, some shade, and then you can move on. In fact, it was considered like the reputation of a city depended on whether there were any people left, in, any strangers left in the center of town when night fell. What would happen is if you were a stranger and you were traveling and you came upon a town, you would go to the city square and you would wait for someone to invite you in. And it was considered shameful for a town if there was anyone left who hadn't been brought into someone's house. And Abraham, as a, as a non-city dweller, he would have that reputation as well. So it's important to him to, br- to take care of people who travel past. So Abraham was practicing hospitality, which is the love of strangers. But there's an interesting thing that happens here because he says, hey, stop here. I'll get you a little water for your feet, a little snack, and then we'll send you on your way. But then what does he do? First of all, he, he hurries. Everything is very quick in, this, in the Hebrew here. He says, it says, he hurried to Sarah. He said, quick, get three seals of the finest flour and knead it and bake some dough. Um, that's about 60 loaves of bread. Yeah, yeah, that's not a quick thing. And it's also not something she did by herself. That's a lot of bread, okay? And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. They are slaughtering, butchering, preparing the entire animal that day. That's like six, eight hours of work. That's a long time. Because you have to remember, meat was not a constant part of their diet back then because they didn't have refrigeration. So you ate meat like the day or the day after you killed the animal. Their refrigeration was keeping the animal alive. So if you're just going to have a sandwich and you wanted a little bit of meat, maybe you'd kill like a partridge or something, um, and that'd give you enough for like four people to have sandwiches. But you're not killing an animal every day, right? So this is a big deal. And he picks the best animal, a choice calf, and prepares a feast. Now, they're not expecting three people to eat 60 loaves of bread and an entire calf. What they're doing is they're not just giving them like a bench to sit down on and eat a Lunchable before they get back on the road. They're actually throwing a feast, like they're sitting down to family dinner. This is, they're having Sunday dinner so that the meal that these people experience is not just some meal, but it's a nice meal. So he's, he's bringing out the best that he has. So what's happening here is that Abraham was being generous to others. Now this is above and beyond hospitality. He would have satisfied hospitality to give them the lunchable and uh, seat in the shade and, ref- and, and, that, and then get them on their way. That would have been acceptable hospitality. But he goes over the top generous. And the question is, why? And the story we've been reading, as in the whole context of it, makes it pretty obvious why. First of all, it's not because he's hosting God. Abraham does not realize that there's anything special about these three strangers. They're just three strangers. This is what Abraham did when people visited. Not when people visited, when people passed by. He would beg them to stop at his house rather than someone else's. You know, don't, don't wait for the next house. It's too far. Please stay here. Let me be the one to host you. Let me host you. And then he was over-the-top generous. Now, why did he have the resources to be over-the-top generous? Because God had given him the resources to be over-the-top generous. Remember, last week we talked about how Abraham is a Hebrew 
He's a person on the margins. He is not a part of the establishment. He's not, he doesn't have a, a prominent place in the city. He doesn't have a great economic portfolio. Everything is in animals. You know, a famine can wipe him out or a, or a, a, um, a disease or something like that. But he has, gen, he has lots to offer because God has been generous with him. Remember, God blessed him in Genesis 12. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Everything Abraham has is because God has blessed him, and God has blessed him generously. And so that enables Abraham to be generous in turn. In two weeks, we're going to see Lot practice hospitality, and Lot does not give them nearly as much. Because he doesn't have as much. Now, he still receives the reward of hospitality because the point of hospitality is not how much you're able to give compared to other people, but how generous you are with what you have. But ultimately, Abraham's generosity is a reflection of God's generosity to him. And when we understand that, and we understand that his mission is to be a blessing to others, and that this is just what Abraham did when people visited, then we can see that Abraham, one of the ways Abraham passed on the blessing from God is through his hospitality. Last week, we talked about a very special circumstance where he got to rescue someone, uh, you know, a whole, two cities worth of refugees in battle, right? That only happened once. That was one time he blessed people that way. But this was one of the regular ways in which Abraham blessed people. People traveling through Canaan would have these experiences where they'd meet this one guy out in the boonies who worshipped this weird god they never heard of, and he just was lavish with his generosity. You know, we're going to take that road because we want to stop at his place, right? Like, he's the guy who hands out whole candy bars on Halloween, right? We're going to go, we, when I was a kid, we had that, that, there was that house that was not on our route. We made the exception because it was worth going out of your way to hit that house with the whole candy bars. That's Abraham. So this is part of who he was and part of what he did. And this is how God's generosity flowed out of him and how he blessed his neighbors. Now, if you remember, one of the things that I've told you is that as you read the story of Abraham, once God gives him the initial blessing in Genesis 12, every other time God reaffirms that blessing, it is in response to Abraham doing something well. So there's several times that God reaffirms his blessing, and each time when you look at it, like Genesis 14, I think 17, every time if you read the story right before that, Abraham did something well. And in this case, Abraham shows generous, godly hospitality, and he, and he receives the best blessing of any of these encounters. One of the things we haven't talked about is that God blessed Ab God's blessing to Abraham was supposed to flow through his family, and Abraham had no children. And by the time we reach this story, we'll be told a little bit later on that Sarah has gone through menopause. They've had no children. Sarah's gone through menopause. They're old. They're real old for having children. And it is the one thing they've always wanted. And it is, the, for, in many ways, the key to their personal happiness. God could give them as many choice calves as he wants, and they're still going to feel something missing as long as they don't have that child. And it's also key to God's mission because 
all the blessings that God gives Abraham, if they don't pass down to another generation and another generation and down through the generations, then the whole thing stops with Abraham anyway. And so, and I think it means something that God chose this occasion. When God came to Abraham, he gave him, an, he came in such a way, he didn't just talk to him like a voice from above, which is at least how I read the other times he talks to him. He shows up as three people to whom Abraham can show hospitality so that in the context of Abraham, in response to Abraham's generosity and hospitality, he can say, where is your wife? She's there in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This is the news that they have been waiting all their lives to hear. They've been waiting so desperately for this that the part of the story we're going to skip over is that Sarah's response is she laughs. She's through menopause. Like she'd given up, right? Like she, even though God had promised it to her, she's still like, <laughs> right, right. But it is in response to Abraham's generous hospitality that God gives him the, the ultimate blessing in, in what he had offered him. So, God blessed Abraham through Abraham's hospitality. Now the question is, why are we spending so much time talking about something that you could just read in an article of Home and Garden or you know something like like this is just about entertaining, right? This is about social lives. This isn't this isn't right core gospel stuff, is it? Um, yes, yes, hospitality is. Uh, surprisingly core in the gospel. It is surprisingly essential in the gospel. And one of the things that I was surprised to discover as I studied for the sermon is how frequently God's blessings are tied to offering hospitality. What I want to do now is I want to take this idea of hospitality, I want to trace it through the New Testament. I want to trace it through the gospel and see how it, this is more than just some random story of how three angels or two angels and God or the Trinity or whoever they were showed up to Abraham and gave him a kid. It's more than that. It's more than just good housekeeping or good entertaining. It's actually an essential part of the gospel. First of all, because when you think about it, if, if hospitality is loving strangers, Loving strangers, meaning not, not that you have to like grab hitchhikers off the street and that's only if they're random people that you have no knowledge of or they, is it hospitality. Hospitality is bringing in people that you don't get anything from, that you don't you know, you don't know them enough to know that you're, like, they're not your friends that are going to bless you with this relationship that you already have. And, and you're, you're bringing them in for the sake of blessing them, for the sake of caring for them. And you're actually not just like giving them money to go get dinner, but you're actually welcoming them into your home and having them participate in your dinner. When we think about that, that idea of loving strangers, what we recognize is that uh, God is the ultimate practitioner of hospitality. We better hope he is, right? Because how do we count with God? Do we count as strangers right off the bat, or do we, do we count as friends? Before, before Jesus, are you a friend to God, are you, are, you know, or are you a stranger? What we find in the New Testament is very clear that Jesus showed hospitality by loving us while we were strangers. 
that we start out as strangers to God and strangers to what he's doing outside his home, outside his purposes, in many ways enemies. Paul says in Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We start out as alienated from God. And we, the only hope we have for salvation, for transformation, for relationship with God is the fact that God opens his home to strangers. In Ephesians, Paul says, Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners, Zenoi, to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, no longer Xenoi and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We start out as strangers to God, but God has a heart for strangers. God likes to take in strays. That image of Abraham running out and begging them to come to his house, that is an image of God. And when you, are, when you accept the offer, when you accept the invitation of Christ, you are accepting God's uh, invitation to accept his hospitality. And that is important for us because when we understand that every follower of Jesus is the recipient of God's hospitality, we can understand better why hospitality is an essential part of living out the gospel. Hospitality meaning love for strangers, welcoming in people who are not part of your family or part of your friend group, people who just happen to live near you, people who are in need. Hospitality comes up multiple times in the New Testament, and if you're like me, you just kind of skip over it. Again, thinking, oh, it means just having good table manners or being nice when people come over. But it says in Romans, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice love of strangers. Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Hospitality, love for strangers, is part of how we express the love of God. It's part of how we take on godly character. So much so that it is actually a condition for leadership in the church. You know this? Six people are about to get very uncomfortable. <laughs> because it says about elders. <laughs> now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. That's in 1 Timothy. In Titus, that wasn't a fluke. In Titus it says, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So in the next week, you will all be getting invitations to the homes of our elders. No. Because <laughs> then I'd have to do the same thing. The point, the point isn't to single out one group of people and say the burden is on them to be hospitable. Because actually, it's, we should all be being hospitable. 
Um, the, the conditions that are put on leaders in the church are not unique to leaders. They're just called out. Those are what we should all be looking like, what we should all be doing. And the, but the fact that it's singled out for leaders tells you the example that we're meant to follow, right? So hospitality, love for strangers is important. And one of the reasons why it's so important, this is what really uh, amazed me as I was studying, and, and it really builds well off of the encounter that Abraham had with those strangers, is we find in the New Testament that to be open to Jesus, you have to be open to strangers. If you are not open to strangers in the New Testament, you are likely to miss Jesus. This comes up multiple times and in multiple ways. First of all, Jesus had a reputation. The reputation Jesus had that the Pharisees really didn't like was they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He did this a lot and it bothered them. Here's the thing. Jesus never once hosted a tax collector or a sinner. He didn't host them. They hosted him. When he ate with Matthew... It was at Matthew's house. When he ate with uh, Zacchaeus, it was at Zacchaeus' house. He's eating with them because they're hosting him. And I wonder if, because the Pharisees, they wanted to convert people. So I wonder if they would have had the same problem if he had been bringing sinners to him. But Jesus actually went to sinners' houses. Which means that these sinners and tax collectors, they encountered Jesus because they invited him into their home. If they weren't willing to invite someone into their home, they would have missed out on that opportunity. Jesus said, uh, Zacchaeus, I must eat at your house today. And if Zacchaeus said, yeah, I don't really entertain, we probably wouldn't have the story at all because it, the, Jesus coming to his home was essential to that story. Not only would you, could you miss out on Jesus if you weren't willing to entertain, you also would have missed out on his messengers. Jesus gave these instructions when he sent out the disciples. He said, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust from your feet. As Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, yeah, find someone who will give you hospitality. If nobody will give you hospitality, just move on. And that means that if people were unwilling to be hospitable, if they were unwilling to welcome in a stranger, they were going to miss out on that opportunity to hear about Jesus. Now you might think, well, yeah, but that was then, obviously. I mean, Jesus isn't walking around getting invited into people's homes today. Neither are the apostles. And I can, I can find out about Jesus from YouTube. I don't need to bring people over in order to hear about the gospel, right? Jesus is a heady on that one. He tells a parable, and he tells a parable about the, the Messiah sorting people out, sorting out the goats and the sheep. And in this case, it's good to be the sheep. You want to be the sheep, right? Because the, the king, he says, will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. These are the people who receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Why do they receive it? He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, a xenos, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And these people are confused. They never hosted Jesus. They never saw Jesus in prison. Jesus was never in prison. How, what is he talking about? 
They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, a xenon, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What he's saying there is not only, he's not, it's not simply that like helping strangers counts as helping Jesus. I think he's saying something a bit more than that, that it is through the practice of hospitality among these other ways that we bless people that we encounter Jesus. It's not just legally it counts as having hosted Jesus, but when you open your hearts to strangers, you actually have an opportunity to encounter Jesus in that moment. I think that, that there is a way that we encounter Jesus when we bring, welcome in strangers. If they're a stranger who knows Jesus, they may show us Jesus. If they're a stranger who doesn't know Jesus and we are able to act like Jesus to them, we, learn, we encounter Jesus by acting like him. In whatever way, we get to know Jesus more. We have an encounter with Jesus when we act like Jesus. And so the hospitality that we show to random people today is hospitality to Jesus. In fact, this is so important for Jesus, this connection between being open to strangers and being open to Jesus, that in the book of Revelation, he actually summarizes his gospel invitation as an invitation to hospitality. Because remember, Jesus talked about hosting he welcomes people to the feast of the Messiah. But in Revelation, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What he's saying there is that we have to have a general, we have to have an attitude of openness to people outside our comfort zone, to people that have nothing to offer us in return. We have to have an openness to recognize that what we need is beyond ourselves if we're going to even receive Jesus. And if you are closed off to those that can't do anything for you, to those that are outside your comfort zone, to those that are strangers, you're, you're gonna, you're, the baby in the bathwater there is Jesus himself. So we need to be open to strangers. We need to be open to hearing from, to encountering, to loving, to sharing meals with strangers. And not only for its own sake, but also because hospitality opens us up to the blessings of God. Remember, God blesses us through other people, right? Our mission is to be a blessing to others. You know how, you know how God blesses you? Often it's through encountering other people that he sent to be a blessing to you. We share the blessings of God. And so as we think back on the story of Abraham, you know, that's, oh, that's a unique one-off thing where angels appear to him and, and tell him he's going to have a baby. That's a unique thing. Except, in Hebrews it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What story is he talking about? He's talking about Genesis 18. Right? And he's saying, hey, you should keep doing what Abraham did because the thing that happened to Abraham is still happening. People are still receiving blessings by being hospitable to others. And if you think about it, you can actually identify quite a few stories of people who were hospitable and received a blessing because of it. Lot, as I mentioned, is going to be hospitable to two of the three visitors that, that visited Abraham, and they're going to save his life from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as a result. 
You think of Rahab, who was hospitable to the, the spies from Israel, and because she showed them hospitality, they spared her, God spared her in the destruction of Canaan, and she ended up marrying into the, the nation of Israel and became an ancestor of David and Jesus. Rachel, Pastor Rachel talked about uh, a widow who, who was hospitable to Elijah, even though she had literally nothing to offer him. And ultimately, uh, later on, her son died, and Elijah brought her son back to life. Through Elijah, God returned her son to her. Elijah handed off his mantle, his, his role, to a guy named Elisha. I wish he would have picked someone with a more different name, but that's what happened. Um, so Elisha uh, received hospitality from a woman who she actually set up a room for him to visit, stay in when he traveled. And when he circled by, he, got, he had his own dedicated guest room. Her son also died, and Elisha brought her son back to life. As we head towards Easter, remember that last year we talked, uh, about, we talked about Jesus eating with people and that one of those last meals on Easter he has with these men who were just walking on the road to Emmaus, and they had this weird conversation with this guy, but they insisted that he come in and eat with them. They showed him hospitality. And when he broke the bread, they realized it was Jesus himself. When we are open to encounters with strangers, when we are open to hospitality, when we practice hospitality, it opens us up to the blessings that God can bring to us through other people. Because I don't know about you, but I can't do this alone. And God hasn't given me everything I need to get through this life and to do his will. We're supposed to share. We're supposed to reinforce each other. And it would be not, it's, it's arrogant for me to think I can do it all on my own. And it's not logical for me to think that I can do it with just me and my friends. Right? Or to assume that God hasn't given anything that I need to people who aren't already my friends. Or that everything I have is only meant for my friends. The net that God casts is bigger than that. And we need to be open to that. Here's what I want you to take home as we close. The first thing I want you to remember is that God opens his heart and his home to us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. God practices hospitality. And if you have not received that hospitality yet, I don't want you to worry about who you're having over for dinner. Just first focus on accepting the hospitality of God. He is generous. He wants you to come home. That picture of Abraham running to those men... That, that picture, does it remind you of anything? Does it remind you of a story that Jesus once told? There's a man who had two sons, and one of them took his inheritance and went off and spent it on wild living, and when he hit rock bottom, he decided to come back home and just asked to be a slave in his father's home. And it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For my son was dead and now he's alive. And Jesus is saying, that's God. That's God's hospitality. So this needs to shape our understanding of who God is, that God loves strangers. And if you are a stranger to God today, accept his hospitality. Come home, because he is generous and he loves you. 
Now, if you have accepted that generosity, then that needs to be the motivation for us to change our character. It's not obligation. It's not social pressure like it used to be in the ancient world. But because God has been generous with us and he has opened our heart, his, hearts, his heart and his home to us, we must open our hearts and our homes to others. If we have received that kind of lavish generosity, lavish welcome, that should be the motive for us to show the same kind of welcome to others. Now, that doesn't mean, one of the things that happens when we talk about hospitality, and I know one of the things that happens is we think, oh, this means I have to put on really good parties. I have to put on a really good show. I have to entertain really well. This is something that one of our books on neighboring talks about, but I want to make sure that I underline it. Hospitality is not entertaining. Because if it's entertaining, if it's putting on a good show and having a clean house and, and, and bringing out the good china, I'm not going to be able to be hospitable for a long time. It has nothing to do with my wife's abilities at all. It has to do with my kid's ability to be chaotic, right? If you come over to my house, it's not going to be perfectly clean. It probably was perfectly clean at some point in the day, and the kids have dealt with that, right? It's not going to be calm. It's, not, like, it's going to be chaotic. So if we're going to invite people over, we're going to invite them into our mess and our chaos, and it's not going to be orderly and neat and quiet, but it's going to be fun. You're going to have kids crawling all over you, but you are welcome to the mess. You are welcome to be part of it. And that's, that's what, that lavish generosity doesn't mean we can give you a lot or we can give you something fancy. It means that I'm going to genuinely let you in. I'm not going to meet you at the door with a Lunchable. I'm going to welcome you in to eat at my actual dinner table with me and my family. That's the difference. That we don't say, here's some money to go to the quick stop and get some food. It's come in, eat at my table, enter my life. And it doesn't mean that you have to go from being an introvert to an extrovert. I am an introvert, and I will always be an introvert. God, or I, God has not seen it fit to make extroversion part of sanctification for me, right? What it means is not that I'm suddenly going to become the life of the party who can invite everybody over all the time, and until I do that, I'm not like Jesus. What it means is that I am not going to set this barrier between my friends and the strangers when I invite people in. I'm not going to only invite people in because they can do something for me or because I'm only comfortable with them. That, when I, that as I'm going through life and I'm inviting people in, I'm inviting people in because God loves them, not just because I already like them. And I do that because God has done that with me and I also do that because gospel hospitality is a blessing to the guest and the host. This is what God designed us to be like. And as we have people into our home, sometimes it will be chaotic and weird. And sometimes it won't go over well. And sometimes they'll come over and one or either you or they will say, we're not doing that again. Some, you know, it's not going to be perfect every time, but it is a blessing for the guest and the host. It's not charity. It's a blessing, and it is good for all of us. So I encourage you, as you go out this week, and as you go into this neighboring emphasis that we're in, to not just do it in the front yard, not just do it as you're passing on the street, but to create pathways into your kitchen table. Be willing to welcome people in 
and to share your chaotic, crazy life with them. Because it is one of the greatest blessings you'll experience. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful that you welcome strangers. Every one of us at one point was a stranger to you, was cut off from you, was an enemy to you because we lived our own way. We followed our own path. But Father, you welcome us in all the same. Your door is always open and you run to greet us and to bring us in. Father, we are so thankful for that. And we pray that everyone who hears this message today who needs to accept that invitation will accept it. Father, for us who have accepted it, I pray that we would be transformed by your generosity to become people who run out, who beg people to come in, who are generous with them, who bring them into our chaos and our mess and our family and our love. We pray that through our simple acts of hospitality and generosity with others that we will be able to display display to people in a real, concrete way the love that you have for us. Help us to be generous with our space, generous with our lives, generous with our homes, the way you are generous with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week when we hear the gospel preached, we believe that you have an opportunity to respond and that a a fully functioning disciple of Jesus uh, connects with God and his church, grows in faith and love, and serves our community and world. And so I want you to consider a few ways that you can respond to his message today. 